0: Hello, my friend, and welcome to the 499th episode of the Sales Podcast. I'm Weshe for the Sales Whisperer, your host. Today we have Lorraine Kwai. She spent 24 years in the FBI, um, worked with the CIA as well, um, on negotiations, on undercover work, um, some crazy things. And we talk about mental toughness. She has a mental toughness assessment. Um, she has a second edition of her book, Secrets of a Strong Mind, How to Build Inner Strength to Overcome Life's Obstacles. Um, so if you're an entrepreneur, if you're a salesperson, if you're a business owner, uh, if you're leading people, then you you know you need this, right? You've got to be tough. What are you doing to make yourself stronger? Um, I look back on you know, doing this Tampa Bay Frogman Swim and doing it now for seven years I was like, "What the hell did I get myself into?" Back in 2011, did that the tough mutter out here that was brutal. Uh, but training for the swim and then jumping in that water, it it was a checkup from the neck up. Doing jujitsu since January 2017. Literally every day I'm challenged. Every day I'm like, "What the heck am I doing?" Last night um, I went Monday night. It was uh, my mom was in town, my son was in town. We went wine tasting. We had a little hoa takeover planning meeting um had a little beer and that that evolved into some scotch and pizza i mean i did not do what i should have done on that sunday so monday i was kind of hurting i felt that 51 years but i went and rolled you know i didn't go in the morning i did go in the evening uh, and i'm glad i went i learned something i was able to teach someone as well and in teaching i taught myself some of the nuances some of the subtleties that I had taken for granted. Uh, So, but every time it makes me tougher. It makes me glad that I went. I see the things um, that I've got to do in every avenue of my life to succeed. And that's just how it is. You know, you talk about work life balance and yeah, when you're pushing for something, you're going to be unbalanced for a while so that's all right as long as you know it's for a while but you need to dig in when the time calls for it you need to know that you've got that gear that you have that intensity to do what it takes for as long as it takes to get done what needs to get done Um, i think we've coasted for too long as a society as a culture um some crazy things are happening with the economy um Make hay while the sun shines, right? You better be digging down now and peeling back things and looking under the rocks, understanding um, where the bad guys could be hiding, where the boogeyman is, um, because the boogeyman will come out in the next 12 to 24 months. So do you have what it takes to build up the reserves right now? Do you have what it takes to weather the storm when it does come? Because it will come. There's always another storm. So are you ready? You know, uh, yesterday I just started a, a five-week um, intensive working with um, a software-as-a-service company and um, teaching 21 of their partners how to sell, you know, and, and we're getting deep and I'm giving them specific things to do, um, specific verbiage to to shape and apply to their business. Uh, and I'm telling them to go do All right, so as you listen to this, don't just be entertained. Don't just use it as a distraction for a moment and go back to whatever. Use this to learn. Internalize these lessons. If you need help, reach out. Okay, I've got on demand courses, I've got private coaching, I've got the weekly calls that we do. All of them are affordable. And you know what? If they're not affordable, then my question is why not? And the second question is what are you going to do about it? Is your current state of mind, your current thinking, your current actions, your current knowledge, your current wisdom, your current insight is it enough to get you from where you are to where you want to be? If it's not, then dig in. Okay? Invest in yourself. Spend the money. Make it hurt. When you spend enough money on something, you'll focus. It gets your attention. Okay? So if that's what it takes, fine. I'll be your huckleberry. I will slap you around if that's what's needed. Okay? But you've got to do these things. You've got to do the work. Every time when I'm teaching new people jiu-jitsu, I'm showing them the fundamentals. I, I literally tell them every time, say, hey, you know how we do our warm-ups? Yeah. You know that that one drill? Yeah. This is when you use that. And they go, Oh, hey, you know the other drill that we do, the other warm-up? Yeah, this is when you add that on to that one. Oh, it's like you thought we were just doing things for shits and grins, huh? No, everything we do in our warm-ups has a reason, has a purpose. I've talked about this before, you know. Even the Air Force Academy, when you're a freshman, a four-degree, a smack, a soldier minus ability, not what. Soldier minus ability, coordination, and knowledge. Smack. <laughs> you know, they make you sit at the front of your seat. Your chin in, your shoulders back and down. Your eyes come uh, caged, looking at the, the, the Air Force emblem at the 12 o'clock position on your plate. The reason they make you do that is to develop your peripheral vision. It's good when you're... Looking for bad guys coming to shoot you down. It's good if you are shot down. You're looking for bad guys trying to shoot you on the ground. So all these little things, you know, they, they pound into our skulls for a reason. So when I cover how you talk, how you sit, how you stand, how you make eye contact, uh, how you finish a sentence, how you set up the meeting, how you're doing the work way before you ever engage with them, there's a reason. Because deep down, I don't want to be in sales. I want to make sales. I want want the money that making sales gives me. And so thinking through this, mapping it all out, making sure the odds are stacked in my favor, that's how you make every sale. To make any sale, you must make every sale. Every step along the way must be right. Because a confused mind says no. And time kills deals. So there you have it. If you need help in those areas. Hit me up. Let's get after it. Okay. You can go to MakeEverySale.com. Get the stuff on demand. You can get that and me live every week. And ask questions at any time in the group. At SellMoreOfEverything.com. Invest in yourself. And grow. You'll be glad you did. Now let's bring on our guest, LeRae Kwai, all the way from Scottsdale, former counterintelligence FBI agent uh, and author of Secrets of a Strong Mind, How to Build Inner Strength to Overcome Life's Obstacles. Welcome to the Sales Podcast. How the heck are you?
1: I am doing well, and thank you for having me. I appreciate the opportunity to speak to your audience.
0: So I was I saw one of your videos... You grew up on a cattle ranch in Wyoming, (laughs) where fast food is hitting a deer at 60 miles an hour. So I'm like, all right, I like her.
1: (laughs) Yeah, that's pretty much my life. Uh, My grandmother had ammo on her Christmas list. So I I learned to take orders and not sass back and not whine and complain when I didn't want to do something.
0: Hey, you know what? Ammo is still on my Christmas list. (laughs) Too dang expensive. <laughs> you remember that guy? the The rent is too dang high. That guy running for office. Well, the ammo is too dang high. That's going to be my platform when I run for office.
1: <laughs> it's astronomical. Yeah, um, but no, it was it was a, it was a great upbringing. And it's actually um, when I interviewed with the FBI, that's one of the things they really liked about me that I wasn't spoiled. You know, that right. I wasn't entitled. I knew how to. Um, I knew how to get out there and work, you know, stack bales or, or uh, you know, work cattle, ride horses, all the, all that kind of stuff.
0: Yeah, I spent one short, quick trip to my friend's grandfather's ranch in Huntsville, north of Houston. Oh yeah. Oh my gosh, and we bulldogged cattle they were he was waiting for us and it was he way he's waiting for the summer so they were too old I mean they weren't too yeah. old they were older than they should have been so they were yeah. big yeah and had to dehorn them and castrate them and brand them and they were you know like 400 pounds instead of 200 pounds yeah and I mean, that like, was
1: way it, too late and it's so much harder on the calf
0: yeah it was it, it was work and then we're bailing yeah. hay and I'm like now I know why these boys up here are so tough in football. <laughs> they don't <laughs> need jams or weight rooms. They're just, they're just they just fed. work
1: every day. And I every mean,
0: day just, they work. That's
1: just the, the, that's just part of the life there. And the thing about a cattle ranch is there's just no room for whining or making excuses yeah. for yourself because you basically have the lives of hundreds of head of cattle that depend on you getting the job done. Right. So, um, when it, you know, their lives depended on you, so you had to take it take it seriously. It's hard work, boy. Ranching is. I love it. I love animals, but ranching is really hard work.
0: Yeah. So how do you go from Wyoming to the FBI? It seems like a big <laughs> jump.
1: <laughs> yeah. It, well, it it, it is. Um, it was. Um, I I knew that I wanted when I graduated from high school. I wanted to go get out. I wanted to get a degree, and and I just knew that if I didn't leave then. I probably never would, uh, and I just wanted to experience a little bit more what the world had to to offer mm-hmm. and so i but my first job out of college was as a as a uh, department store buyer for like a at a fancy department store, and I did not care for that job at all I mean at the end of the day the I, I looked at my life and i said so'm I'm, I'm persuading women to to, to buy polka dots this year instead of stripes. I mean, it just wasn't what I wanted. So I went back to school to get my master's at ASU and the FBI came on campus and um, they. I, I just interviewed with them. I'd never, even though I'd grown up on a, a remote cattle ranch in Wyoming with, with lots of deer and elk and everything, I'd never shot a gun. But uh, the Bureau loved that because that way they could teach me the right way to shoot, which was have any the bad FBI habits. way, right? So um th- but like I said earlier they they just liked the fact that I I could get I you know I wasn't spoiled I wasn't all prissy you know mm-hmm. and um so I just kind of fell into that position but um it's interesting because I talk a lot about values and I mean if you know if you want to persist at something and have the grit to make it through the mental toughness uh you have to you know, you 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 must be, you must care about what you do, otherwise you'll give up. Right. And I, internally, when I got into the bureau, I found out that FBI internally stands for fidelity, bravery, and integrity. And uh, I knew right then that's how I was raised uh, with those kind of values. And so uh, I just knew it was going to be a good fit. It was just a, it was just, it was a God-given thing.
0: Nice. Yeah. And, like I said, I was watching one of your videos, you you mentioned espionage, and I guess people, we usually think of the CIA as doing espionage, Uh, but I mean, the the CIA technically, officially has to work outside of our borders, right? And then when it's happening here, the FBI gets involved?
1: That's exactly right. Um, So whether it be counterintelligence, and so just to, to, to differentiate between the two, Counterintelligence was identifying foreign spies that came into this country to steal uh, classified or proprietary information. Espionage is when the U.S. citizen is spying for another country. And so if that person is, let's just say, been recruited by the Russians or the Chinese, and they work at some, you know, some either political think tank or defense related or uh, Silicon Valley, high tech, uh, they're stealing that information and then forwarding it, giving it to this uh, foreign intelligence service or foreign country. So that's espionage. Uh, So we work both, but we would work with the CIA a lot of times because obviously, uh, if you have a foreign government, they're going to be the foreign partners over there working the same cases. So we coordinated quite uh, frequently and closely.
0: So... 24 years doing that and then you I mean that's a full career. Um yeah. and then how did you make that transition? Uh cuz a lot of people they'll go coast after that. Like you got a you got a pension, you got health care, you know, go back to Wyoming, raise some cattle. <laughs> I mean, why did you decide to to get into this mental toughness space? Uh
1: let me just qualify why I didn't go back to Wyoming to raise cattle. Because I don't know if you've ever been in a Wyoming winter, but um, I spent 18 years in Wyoming winters, actually more than that, because I came home for school. But um, And so that's why no Wyoming, um, which is the <laughs> weather. It's brutal. I got to tell you, it's brutal. Um, but as far as mental toughness, I uh, actually, the first thing I did was I went back and got a graduate degree uh, at San Francisco Theological Seminary in spiritual direction. And um, most people question what, how do you go from being a, a, you know an FBI agent, working spies, to uh, um, you know being a spiritual director? And I just said, you know, it's the easiest transition in the world because the FBI taught me to always look at pull back layers and continue to dig down and find out what's really going on with a person or whatever is going on with the case. Uh, and this, this spiritual, spiritual life is much the same way. Uh, only it's myself. I'm pulling layers off from to get to the, the heart of the matter, or perhaps in the, if you're a director, somebody else. So you work with other people. It's all about communication though. And, and taking the time to um, appreciate who they are, getting their point of view, and then taking it a bit d- deeper so that you're sharing a little bit more about who you are.
0: Gotcha. So, so, you make that transition, and then you know this mental toughness um seems to be i don't know if uh, in vogue is the right name um you know it's funny how things come and go, but I mean yeah. the reality is anybody that's ever done anything noteworthy in life was tough, right physically tough, right. mentally tough yep um is uh, but d- does it seem like it's more of a fad right now, even though it should be just ingrained in this? Like, was it was it not taught for a couple of generations? Like, how, how do we arrive at this point?
1: You know, I have to tell you, I think uh, a lot of people these days have had it so easy uh, that they haven't had to dig down. They really, um, this this thing we're going through right now is tough. I mean, whether it be COVID or, or the economy or the political divisiveness or the uh, racial uh, equity we're looking at, um, it's it's hard. It's a hard time in history. It's a good time. Most, most good things are hard. That's kind of the point. And uh, I just think now uh, a lot of people are realizing, I mean, it's been such a, hey, look at me, I'm so cool kind of culture for so long that uh, this is the, really the first time a lot of people have had to dig down and even uncover what's important to them, even care about it because it's all about selfies, right? And the biggest cars and whatever, being, being popular, whatever it happens to be. So I think the great generation uh, grew up with the resilience, with the grit, with a mental toughness, they went through some hard times. Uh, We've had it pretty easy here, really, to be truthful. So as far as being mentally tough, it's basically just your mindset. It's you change your mindset, you change your behavior, you change the outcome. And that is where you have to take responsibility or the individual has to take responsibility rather than you know, blaming somebody else or pointing fingers or expecting your parents to make life easy for you or whatever it happens to be.
0: So, I mean, I I agree like a hundred percent. It's my dilemma is always like the people who need this book will not admit that they need this book. Mm -hmm. And the people who don't need this book uh, we'll probably buy it anyway, maybe to iron sharpens iron. Have you kind of yeah. found yeah. that?
1: Yeah. Uh, I love that. Iron sharpens iron. To, iron sharpens iron. It's one of my favorite um, verses actually. Um, I have found interesting that you're asking this question now because I'm working on corporate training programs and um there's more of a, I want to say humility, but uh, I think there's more of an understanding that maybe we, we don't have all the answers. And so maybe we do need to reach out and, and, and even dig into our own personalities a bit more and try to understand how we can become more in control of our own life rather than just being a, a witness to it, you know? And so I, I, I don't know. It's a great observation, a great question. I, I find that people are intrigued by how they can become, develop a stronger mind, how they can become more mentally tough. There's the first thing, people think mental toughness is just bulldozing their way through obstacles. And um, that might work in football, but it doesn't work in life. So I I think there's a curiosity there uh, about what mental toughness is, what resilience is,
0: So it's not just bulldozing. Uh, we <laughs> we <laughs> no, may have to end not. this interview. Uh, <laughs> all of my questions were around bulldozing.
1: <laughs> but I do think that's a concept a lot of people have, you know, about uh, what mental toughness is. And it's uh, applied to athletes so much. And I think that's another, you know, sort of metaphor. It's like mentally tough athletes. And I get that there is a lot of the mental toughness to be a good athlete. But it means pushing yourself through an obstacle and, 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 and making it through to the other side.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, and I noticed too, uh, and I mean, it's, it's even in, in the book in your titles, I see it on, on Twitter, right? You've got an emphasis on women. Uh, do women, are, are they stuck between a rock and a hard place? Because a lot of times if they are firm, if they are strong, then they're seen as bitchy, you know, pushy. Mm-hmm. Uh, are they, are women in a no win situation
1: you know i I don't think so um, <clears throat> I do appreciate and understand that a lot of women do feel feel that they hit a glass ceiling and that there's only there's nowhere to go and there's no support um, <clears throat> I guess part of it was my upbringing in that I think everybody uh, uh, has this this confrontation uh i don 't know of any guy, any man that I worked with that got things just handed to them because they were a guy, and I kind of took the same approach um, and if if I felt like somebody wasn't giving me a fair shake i just I just ran over them with competence. I was just competent, and I made sure I was as competent or more competent than my 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 colleague uh, did I, did I uh, actually find that the Bureau was hard because I was a woman? Um, I found that it was hard on anybody who was weak to be truthful. It wasn't just because I was a woman. It was because I hadn't prepared or I wasn't physically as as adept at maybe one of my colleagues. So it's something I had to work on. I had to work for pushups. I, they didn't come naturally for me. So I, could I have said, oh, you know, that's I'm a, I'm a female. I shouldn't have to do that much. But you know what? Yeah, if we want to be co- if we want to be treated equal, yeah, we do have to do the same stuff. So no exceptions. And that's my that's kind of my hard rule. So do I think women are between a rock and a hard spot? I think if they see themselves as a victim, they will become a victim. There's no doubt about it. But there are so many women out there who have already forged this path. It's not like... The, women who are listening now, it's like, Oh my God, I'm the first one. I mean, I'm having to, to break the, through the snow here, the snowplow because no one's been before me. There have been a hundred, so many women who have been very competent and have paved the way for younger women today that um, I don't really, I don't really think that's a, an excuse to be truthful.
0: Yeah. Okay, cool. Hey, I'm, I'm down with that. I have five daughters. So um, i I don't coddle any of them and I, my oldest son, you know, he he's the first born, two boys and five girls and you know my oldest son he's he's got a vision uh disorder, he's legally blind. Um but you wouldn't know it, he's a computer programmer. It's the craziest thing. Awesome. <laughs> he, <laughs> <laughs> he, awesome. I, I, I get, I get vertigo. I, I get, I get carsick watching him because he, he has to zoom in on everything, right? So yeah. he's constantly, yeah. and he has all these shortcuts on his, on his keypad and, and the keyboard, and everything. He's zooming in, zooming out, moving, and, and I'm like, dude, I'm getting busy you know. And yeah. we never cut him any slack, right? Every now and then, like my wife, it would kind of hit her, you know. She'd yeah. get emotional. Like he'll never drive. And the crazy thing is, he got his driver's license, but he doesn't <laughs> yeah. drive. Doesn't drive by choice because it is getting worse.
1: Yeah, no, but but your point is so well taken. It 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 is just this coddling idea, yeah. and I it's become so pervasive. Yeah, and I I I mean I just say to parents don't don't try to make the road easy. Prepare them for the road
0: because yeah. the
1: road is not is not going to be easy. I mean, pain life is hard. Pain is inevitable, but growth that's optional. So. Yeah. Be sure you're on the right side of that equation.
0: Yeah. Um, so what are some things? I mean, this is a good time to talk about mental toughness, right? It's, it's as good a time as any. Um the, the the reason I like it now, um, there's a guy, retired Navy SEAL, I kind of know uh Jocko Willink. I don't know if you've heard of
1: I have um, it.
0: Yeah. Jocko podcast, super successful, uh, made the transition to business, but he, he was in charge of training for like the West coast seals and okay. did a lot in Iraq, but he, he talked about how he would hit his guys the hardest after they thought the mission was done. Mm-hmm. Right. Cause they, they would draw it all up and say, okay, we're gonna come in, hit the target, blah, blah, blah. You know, and then we're out. Yeah. Cause he's like, you you let your guard down, right? Hey, I got the objective done. Blah blah blah. We took out the bad guys. Everybody's safe. Let's head let's head back for a beer. Yeah. But, but it's like you're not safe. You know, when you're in a foreign land, right, in a war zone, you're not safe till you're back behind the wire.
1: Yeah. Right. So yeah. they
0: would kind of let their guard down, and then he would just hammer them. And I feel like people are thinking that right now. They think COVID's over. They think uh, the economy is just going to bounce back. It's going to be the glory days. The roaring 20s are here. Uh, and, you know, I'm not a negative person. I'm just I'm looking around like I see some storm clouds.
1: <laughs> yeah, I know. You know? Yeah. Like, no, uh, you talk to any investor, they're seeing storm clouds. Like, yeah,
0: we're not out of this. So I'm now when people want to let their guard down, I'm like, I think they better ratchet this thing up and get even tougher for what's about to come. Yeah. So so what are some you know we, we still want them to buy your book, you know, and we're <laughs> linking to it. But like what's a nugget we can
1: Thank you for that.
0: share. <laughs> uh, to get mentally tough.
1: Yeah. Yeah. You know, um and the book covers a lot of topics and and I thought about this as I like before I joined you today and I, I'm thinking, you know, I for your audience um yeah, there may be a shit storm ahead. I mean, I, there most likely will be. And I was thinking positive thinking would be, you know, it's a corner, kind of a cornerstone of uh, mental toughness, uh, positive thinking. And do you want me to, I can give you an example of how I had to use positive thinking if you want sure. to talk about an FBI story. I don't know if you, does that sound okay? Sure. Um, it it uh, kind of, um Dovetails with what you were just saying. So, at the first day of my of class in the FBI Academy, we all stood up and introduced ourselves. And one guy was a, a former Marine who had fought terrorists in, in North Africa. And you know, another guy was this, was this um, lawyer from New York who had brought down an organized crime gang. And then yet another was a police officer, you know, all these stories, right? And when I stood up and told them that I was a buyer at a fancy department store, they all just kind of turned to get a look at the fluff ball that had accidentally gotten into the FBI. And then things got really bad. One of our physical fitness requirements at the academy was to dive off a 20-foot diving board while holding an M16 rifle and then swim to the other side of the pool with the weapon. And I had two problems. I was afraid of heights and I'd never learned to swim. No need on a cattle ranch in the middle of Wyoming. So as my training class and my instructors all waited for me to jump, I seriously doubted that in real life, I'd need to to jump into a pool of water with an M16 while chasing a suspect. But it was something I had to do to graduate. And I was watched as even, you know, experienced swimmers came up gagging and um, I I just knew that if I took a step off that diving board, I'd die. But I knew if I didn't take that step, my dream of becoming an FBI agent would be the thing to die. So I instinctively kind of came up with, okay, what um, what can go right here? What can is the positive in my situation? And first is I'd never heard of a new agent drowning at the academy, and I thought that was the kind of information that would get around. Uh, the, the FBI wouldn't want the lawsuit that my parents would launch against them. If I did drown, um, my coach was an excellent swimmer and he could save me. I had put on a life jacket and I think probably more, most importantly, it was, I felt certain that a career in the FBI was my path forward. Um, I took a step and jumped. And I, I did bounce back to the surface with the weapon. And I basically crawled to the other side at the bottom of the pool. It wasn't pretty, but I made it. And so, you know, it's one of those things where even we're in the middle of a, of a, of a situation, an obstacle, whatever, um, to take the time to think. And, and, and research has shown that we need to come up with about five positive thoughts to counter each one negative thought. So it's, it, I mean, your friend and you probably have heard this already. You have to hunt the good stuff, right? I mean, that's a term that we hear in in military here at, at law enforcement a lot.
0: So why, why so many positives? Because I, I mean, I've heard something similar, something like you know, ninety percent of our thoughts are are negative, counterproductive, and self defeating. I mean, why? why are we so hard on ourselves
1: <laughs> you know it's a, it's a really thank you it's a really great question wes um uh, actually because uh, i what i like to do and what i talk about and what i write about really is i marry neuroscience with social psychology and so when you get to the bottom of a question like that which is an excellent question because we are hard on ourselves we are we are always our own worst critic um but it, there's there's a scientific there's a neural there's a Neuroscience can explain that because the brain is wired to be negative. It's just, and the reason is not because the brain is some sort of sadist, but because it can keep us safe. Its primary job is to keep us safe. So um, it pays more attention to negative information because it could be a threat to our safety. So, it, it, and I didn't say this, uh, Rick Hansen came up with this, but good news is like Teflon. It just slides away. Bad news is like Velcro. It sticks. Um, and so we do have to work harder to find the good stuff because our brain, while it's nice and fluffy and all warm and stuff, it's, it's, it's not, if, if our brain will turn immediately if something negative comes up so we can pay attention to it. So we can evaluate whether that's going to hurt us in some way, you know, but not everything that's negative is a threat to our safety anymore. The caveman days, it really mattered. Or if you're in Iraq, um, you know, behind an enemy line, but for most of us, it's, uh, we need to take the time to think through it.
0: So what exactly is this, is this positive thinking though? Because that's, I remember um, I was at the air force Academy and we, I got there in '88, so there was still a whole lot of lessons learned and, and being discussed from Vietnam, you know. Yeah. And uh, Admiral Stockdale, Medal of Honor winner, um, not too long later, in '92, right? He was running with Ross Perot uh, yeah. as his vice president, um, but he he was the ranking member in in the Hanoi Hilton, right? So he was kind of leading yes. things. And um, and they asked him, you know, who who made it and who didn't like what what do they have in common? He said, oh, it's easy. And he said, you know, the guys that didn't make it were the ones. And I, I don't know if it was like positive thinking, but he, he was the guys that didn't make it. They're like, oh, we're going to be home by, by Easter. And the Easter yeah. came. And yeah. went. we'll be home by Memorial Day. We'll be home by Christmas. And then they just lost hope and died.
1: That's exactly right. This so is a great story.
0: So what what's the nuance there? What were they were they hopeful thinking versus positive thinking? Like what's the the subtlety there? You so know, get it right.
1: Mm-hmm. Positive thinkers are not optimists. Um, there's a difference. Um, positive thinkers believe they will prevail in their circumstances without expecting their circumstances to change. Optimists do expect their circumstances to change and for the better. And that was, as Stockdale had pointed out in, in his book and, and a book written about him, uh, they just kind of lost hope. They wouldn't adjust. They couldn't adjust. It was always about um, about something that was going to change in their environment. Well, it's like, it's like I don't know if you've ever heard this uh, by Viktor Frankl, who was a Holocaust survivor. His whole family was killed. He was the only one that survived. And he, and he said, you know... At some point, when I when you can't change your circumstances, you're challenged to change yourself. That's what Stockdale did. I mean, he was a positive thinker. If he had, bu- you know, if he had bugs in his rice, he was thankful for the protein. Uh, if he had a broken arm or some other issue, he was he was glad that he had his other arm or leg or whatever. He always looked for the positive, and. Um, and that's a positive thinker. You, you believe you will prevail, you know, rather than expecting your circumstances to change. Uh, and, and, you know, positive, positive thinkers, uh, it's, it's, it's not wishing or hoping all things that are bad in your life will go away because at some point we learn at some point we learn life is not always fair and nor can it be predicted. So um he they just he just adapted. Positive thinkers adapt to their circumstances without ever losing hope.
0: Yeah. Um yeah, that's good. That's a good differentiator. I want to make sure we touch on because it's yeah, it's it's nuanced, right? It's it uh um, Yeah, and I tell people, you know, hope hope is not a strategy, right? Uh, so no, <laughs>
1: But it can be the end result though. Right. I mean, you know, of, of when you, again, it's your mindset. It's yeah. how you look at yourself and your circumstances. You change the mindset, you change your behavior, you change the outcome. So um, Stockdale's story is a brilliant one. And thank you for bringing that up. That's just an excellent illustration.
0: Yeah. Um, you know, four years ago, June, 2017, I started writing a daily post on the Bible. Um, uh, cause there was this guy that I followed and I still know him. Uh, he's just, he's a little too edgy and foul mouth for, um, I mean, I, I still like him. I mean, I, I grew up in the military and in sports, you know, <laughs> I can make a sailor blush. It's just not you know, my,
1: it's you, not you, my default. You know what mode. I say? I can't. Is the only four letter word I've never heard in the FBI. I <laughs> oh, can't do that. I can't do that, that, this, whatever. So I hear what you're saying.
0: It's just not my default mode of no. communication, Bro, but if no, he has definitely. a big influence, I'm like, well, okay, that's my fault for not having a bigger presence to give people an alternative message, right? So, I mean, for almost four years now, every day, I've written that, and, you know, just over and over again, you see, you know, the suffering servant, uh, and I, and it, it boggles my mind, it saddens me in a way as well, you know, that so many people are, you know, they say they're strong in their faith, and then you see them in the next breath whining and moaning about, "Oh, woe is me." I'm like, "Yeah." Well, which is it? <laughs> you know, are, yeah. you, are yeah. you are you that suffering servant? You you say you're a good Christian, and and you're down with everything. It's like, well, pick up your cross. You know, everybody's like, "Well, it's an old growth uh, wood, uh, and some spotted owl was was dehomed." Uh, to make this cross, so I shouldn't be forced to carry it. I'm like, oh, my gosh. <laughs> oh. I think so it sounds I, like
1: an excuse myself. Yes.
0: So I hope your book is selling a lot because people need this. We, we're we not mentally tough, uh, but can it, can it be self-taught, right? Can I get a book and be tougher or do I need to, like, join a group? There's all these men's groups and stuff. Come and come sit in the cold water and it's like a it's like a baby navy seal you know
1: yeah i i know 72 hour
0: indoctrination (laughs) they all dress in black suits oh and they got rings and i'm like oh my gosh but i think it is unfortunately
1: yeah uh they're making a lot of money from those little things you're talking about those weekends or you walk on coals or you sit out in the cold or whatever they're making a lot of money from it but um in a week they'll forget i mean it, it has to come from within So what you're talking about, whether it be faith um, related or, and actually I think people of faith find it easier to do the hard work and to go inside to uncover what's really important to them. Because so many people, it's such a a shallow world we live in right now that most people are living someone else's values, Uh, you know, that, that they think they're supposed to live by. Because they admire a person or that's what they're told uh, is the right thing or social media is responsible for so much of this and is quite um, actually carries a lot of responsibility for where people are going these days. But uh, actually, what I find is important to stand firm or grit or whatever you're talking about is you have to understand what your values are. And you have to do that inner work to even know what your values are. I mean, I I can ask somebody, you know, what are your values? And they'd say, and they'd be hard pressed to even know what I mean. It's like, "Uh, well, I got a great car. I've got a new house. I mean, you know, I've got jewelry, whatever the thing is, but I'm talking about values. And um, that's where if you really, if you love what you do, if something is important to you, you will have the grit to follow through on what you've started uh We must believe in what we're doing, otherwise we'll just give up when the going gets tough
0: yeah well, that's well that it was Frankel was quoting Nietzsche what not he was he saying like if you if your if yeah. your why is big enough, you'll figure out how basically something to
1: yeah, he did say something like that, that you're point, exactly right, right. um. I'm just a big man's search for meaning. I'm a big Viktor Frankl fan and he's influenced a lot of my, of my thinking. Right. And, and what I, just what I, what I, what I write about to be truthful.
0: Right. Uh, So you, so you leave the FBI, you enter the uh, theology program uh when did you launch your own business though like was it right away or did you did you take some time and then I mean did you stumble upon it or was it like was it always a vision you had to to do this
1: um you know I've always wanted to write that's something um even when I was in college I wanted to do I took writing classes and art classes but you know there's a part of me said I'll never make a living as a writer and I've got to pay the rent right so um I decided after I retired, I, well, first of all, retirement is such a, I think it's a misnomer. Uh, I I guess people really do sit on their butts, you know, after they retire and do nothing, but, you know, I don't know, maybe they play golf all day, every day, or I don't know what they do, but that's not normal. I, yeah. It's just not normal. It's not even healthy. And so it's like when I left the Bureau, then it gave me an opportunity to craft something that I really wanted to do something that um, was, was important to me. And, um, and that was writing. And, um, and so that's why I started doing, I started my blog and I started uh, writing a book. Uh, I read the first edition and it was, you know, it was, what, almost 10 years ago. And so I've, my, my writing has improved and that's why I came out with a second edition. But I think one of the biggest things that really came out for me was, you know, you hear this so much. It's like, well, well, I don't know. What should I do? Well, you should follow your passion. Going, <laughs> oh my God. If I hear that one more time, I'll just die. Um, because, you know, following your passion is is all about you. what, what what turns you on? And it, okay, so for at some point in life, you may want to go a little bit deeper than that, and not just all about you, but purpose asks a very different question. It asks what we can contribute to the world, what we can contribute to others. Then you start, you start digging down a little bit, bit deeper. You realize, first of all, you're not your own God, uh, that maybe there's somebody else in the world beside you that matters. Uh, and, and really it takes people, it can take people a while to get to that point. If I, I I know several young people who are well ahead of me were, they were far ahead than I was at their age. That's for sure. And I, I'm like, wow, I had to wait so many years to, to kind of move to that point. But, uh, and so that's what that's, it's about purpose. I think now more than just, uh, you know, what I like to do and believe me. The, the FBI, with the values that it holds, uh, kept me there for 24 years, and I loved it. Um, but now I'm thinking there's a sense of purpose there too. You're helping victims, but this is a different kind of purpose for me myself.
0: So you never chased a bad guy with an M16? Did you rope? Did you rope any of them at least, Like hit them with a cattle prod or something? Um. <laughs> no. Did you fish? Did Did you get them loose in the like NASCAR and get them loose in the corner and crash them into a light pole?
1: Um. No. Uh, you know. Um. I I have a lot of just come to Jesus moments stories uh, because of the bureau and and arrests and holding a gun and when you hold a gun at a person you you realize what power you have and how responsible you must be mm-hmm. in order to make sure that that person is not hurt or that you're not hurt. Cause at some point it could go either way. Right. So, um, you know, I, again, it was, um, being sort of honest, uh, if you have time, I'll tell you a short, kind of a short story sure. about that. Um, it was my first arrest in, uh, in my first arrest. And I was with my training agent and he was after a guy who was considered armed and dangerous. And he had a lead and he got the SWAT team, FBI SWAT team all lined up and we were, oh, the the plan, you know, we had a plan and it was the SWAT, we, we would follow this guy. And when he came, came to a, a red light, we would, a red board, we call it, but a red light, um, we, the SWAT team would jump out and arrest him. Like, just like we trained in the FBI Academy. Right. And so, but it was traffic and we hit a series of red, green lights and, and oh my God, all of a sudden I looked back, there weren't any SWAT team cars and Ron was in the drivers. And he was not going to let this guy get by and get away from us. And so he pulled up right, there was a red light and Ron pulled up right next to him. Uh, and I was on this shotgun seat, right over here. And he looked at me and he said, it's going to have to be you. Okay. Oh, I mean, it was my first real arrest. Everything else has been in the academy, right? And I'm, I mean, my God, I was scared, and my emotions was just like carrying, carrying, carrying away with me. And so, kind of like that swimming board thing, you know, where I said, "Okay, I have to think this through." So um, I took off my raid jacket, so he wouldn't know who I was, and um, pulled my sweater over my gun. And I don't really look like your typical FBI agent. So I got out of the car and this in, at this red light. This is what, like
0: 1984?
1: This was something like that. Yeah. Yes, yeah, <laughs> somewhere in there. And I just tapped on his window and I smiled and he kind of smiled back. And I indicated he should roll down his window and he's smiling the whole time. And when he rolled down his window, I just pulled up my gun and said, FBI, you're under arrest. And he was just so shocked. His mouth dropped open and his foot actually slipped off the clutch and his car lurched into the intersection. And, but I just followed him with my gun. And so I I knew there was no way I could make this happen because he was such a big, he was a big guy. And, but it was like, okay, I'm going to stick with him. And uh, I kept my gun and I, I said, put up your hands. And he did. And by this time, um, SWAT team had just gotten out of their cars that were running down the street. So there wasn't some sort of shootout or something. And they did pull him out of the car and throw him to the ground and slap handcuffs on him like we had been trained in the in the academy. But it was one of those times when I was just like, oh, my God, I have to think my way through it. I can't feel it, you know, because if I let my emotions take over, I'd be scared to death. Uh, but I had to th- Put calm down, my emotional, my fear, and just be as as logical and as uh, <laughs> thorough as I could be. He, but he I was prepared you. to. If he did, he did have a gun. By the way, I forgot to mention that he did have a gun. And uh, you know, if he reached for it, I, I was 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 prepared to shoot him. Yeah,
0: <sighs> that's what I was going to add, I mean, the, he didn't see you get out of the car. Like, were you literally just right next door and just oh, hopped no, out I in was, traffic? I,
1: I looked over. He was right here. I mean, we were side by side. Uh, Right, and so I was in the passenger seat, right next to him. So yeah, I did. I I got out of the car, and I think he was not sure what was going on. He was looking ahead, but when I tapped on his window, you know, I get his attention, and then you know, kind of, you know, kind of winked and just said, "Roll down your window. I want to talk to you," kind of thing. So it worked. It worked. What if he just just drove drove off?
0: I mean, if nobody was in front of him, I mean, nothing really was stopping him from just accelerating and driving away, right?
1: He was at a stoplight. He was waiting for the stoplight.
0: Yeah, you I mean, could still risk it, I guess. I mean, do you, do you think you'd have shot him if he if he accelerated? No,
1: no I would not have because at that point, uh, it, it's 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 he's a fleeing kind of a fleeing felon, right? And we're we're given but he is armed train. and dangerous. He's armed and dangerous, but he's. Fleeing, and if it's a, it's a if it's a fleeing felon, you you don't you just okay. don't shoot somebody uh, okay. in the back. Got you. Basically, well,
0: technically, it would kind of be from the from the side, from the side <laughs> back, the the back left quadrant. And, so, I mean, it's kind of the yeah. side.
1: <laughs> yeah, no, there were there was traffic. You know, he would. But you're not.
0: a trained FBI agent. You could shoot it off the frame, the front, so the bullet hits him in the chest. So you're shooting him from the front.
1: That's right, and I see that you've been watching a lot of good FBI. <laughs> TV shows.
0: Oh my goodness. Right. Um, yeah, that uh,
1: contrary to what those FBI TV shows indicate, uh, it's really difficult for somebody smaller to beat the crap out of somebody who's a lot bigger and this guy was a lot bigger than me. And I, yeah.
0: So what, what was the issued sidearm back then?
1: What, what was it?
0: What what was the gun they gave you?
1: Oh, I came into the bureau with a Smith and Wesson
0: 350 uh 357 oh yeah. a little yeah. short
1: barrel or uh it was a short barrel and oh we still God. had to qualify at the 50 yard line oh with my a gosh short barrel like this so that's i'll tell you a fat, funny story that's hard to I shoot was, i was very i was a good shot actually because i trained the <laughs> fbi way right but i when i first started out at the 50 yard and then you know you're down there trying to uh, hit the target. And I looked at, I go, Oh my God, I, I hit the target and I ran down in the burn behind us, it would have been uh, rain the day before. And all I did was spit up uh, uh, mud from where I'd hit too low. So it was like, Oh my God, I've got a lot of work to do.
0: That's a hard one. You know, I've got a, I've had a little Smith and Wesson 38, a little airweight, hammerless, you know, just good. Just throw in your pocket. Yeah, I am not very good with that thing. I mean, it's hard. It's uh, it's hard. And the recoil.
1: Uh, we shot about 3000 rounds. Um, oh, my God. Academy and the recoil, as you know. At, yeah.
0: But it, after it, that it will times, mark. It, it'll leave a mark on the bad guy.
1: <laughs> oh, yeah. It's, it was a great gun. Uh, yeah. uh, those were the days when you had to load, you know, and now we've got uh, a Glock I had a Glock 26 and, um, I love that gun. Actually, I still have it. Yeah. Um, and you know, you've got the, the, the magazines and I mean, it's yep. is a whole different game. Back totally in different. Days. It, was, it was tough. It was tough.
0: Um, well that had to be scary. Like I do, I do jujitsu. Right. And I,
1: mm-hmm.
0: I didn't start till I was almost 47. Yeah. And I tell everybody it took me, and these were just small in-house tournaments, which, I think in a way are worse than big tournaments because on an in-house tournament, you kind of know everybody, you know, some of the people from the other schools and they just cram hundreds of people in your little bitty gym. Mm. And so and they, they tape it off like regulation, but like my very first one, like all of my coaches and friends, like literally like you're, you're on your back fighting this guy. And your guys are like six inches away. do this, do that you know, uh I was it took me three tournaments to not just want to throw up and quit, yeah, and that's a friendly like not life or death
1: right. situation right, right. I, right? I,
0: you're playing for all the marbles um did did your training kick in did did you feel like you were prepared for that moment?
1: I did, I did all the arrests we had made at the FBI Academy, of course, we're compliant. Um, and it, we took turns being the bad guy, right? So you could ratchet up as much as you wanted, but mostly everybody complied because you want to make everybody look good. Oh, you know, they followed directions when you said, you know, step out of the car, hold up your hands. But I did find that the the training, it was just, uh, it did just kick in. I didn't have to think twice uh because there was a lot going on but i had my stance i knew what i wanted i had my voice uh i mean you know i was it was my voice under control um it did kick in and that's where training really i mean it really does matter mm-hmm. it really does
0: my my son and i served um a subpoena or whatever uh you know notice to appear on a guy that it was his ex-wife's boyfriend, live-in boyfriend. And so <laughs> he hit us up. This was by two years ago. And that was nerve wracking. And yeah. I mean, the the only comforting thing was the guy was older and I mean, he was a white collar, you know, yeah. CFO Of a big organization. So like, I wasn't too worried about getting beaten up, but um, it was, You know, we had to wait. My, my friend had, he drew a map of where the guy lived and hit as a gate. Wasn't a gated community. It was private property, but his own gate Mm -hmm. and nighttime. And we had to follow him and, and my son's driving and, you know, I'm like, get up, get up before the gate would close. And, and and I, I show up and, and I I went, I got out and I went way wide. I didn't want to like come up and ambush him any more than I had to. Plus like, maybe he's got a gun. Yeah. Right? So, but I, I held know. that envelope and I kind of waved and I called his name and he's looking at me with these big I mean, the guy was terrified. Poor guy. I know. And I'm, and I'm like, I say his name. He's like, no. <laughs> I'm like, yes, you are. I'm you like, yep. I lifted his windshield wiper and I put it in the front. <laughs> like you've been served. Yeah. Oh my gosh. But I mean, I'm not trained for that. You
1: know. Yeah. No. No. If you're not trained for something, but it's amazing how how, how much confidence that gave me, even though I was shaking in my boots. Oh I just, yeah. I just, I just wish it hadn't been my first arrest. And I wish I had backup because Ron was in the car and we didn't know how long until the light switch turned. And in a way, it, you know what? I survived and I learned yeah. something about myself which uh, at the time uh, I was just shaking, but I learned something about myself, you know, and I sure. realized then I, if I put my mind to it, I could control that emotional limbic brain that just right. the, the drama queen limbic brain, you know, that's always so emotional.
0: So do you have tips and it, it, it's related in a sales sort of way um, to get The truth out of people, because in sales, people are always afraid to pick up the phone. They're afraid of that tough negotiation. They're afraid to stick to their price, you know. And and you know, prospect will say, "Oh, that's really nice. Send me some information." Or you know, what we'll get back to you. Or you know, what go ahead. We're we're getting three quotes. Go ahead, and you know, we'll we'll let you know how you do. I mean. Oh, they said they'll get back to me. Like we, we, yeah. we trust too much. Maybe I think, cause we, we don't want to get uncomfortable and make that next call. But is there a, is there a way to get the truth out of people a little easier? Uh, just so we know where we stand. Right. I always tell people it's, it's not the, the nose that kill us. It's the, it's the indecision. It's the unknowns.
1: Mm-hmm. Is this true. deal really
0: going to close? I mean, here we are, you know, we got nine days left in the month, you know, in, in the quarter as well right yeah. oh are this yeah. deal's gonna come in like it ain't coming in man
1: you Ooh. know yeah you yeah, know i hear what you're saying uh i always start with that kind of question by just asking uh whether how how really aligned is that person with what they're trying to sell um because if you're not aligned with that prop <clears throat> Excuse me, if you're not aligned with that product and or service or whatever it happens to be, it's going to be really hard for you to look somebody straight in the eye uh, and honestly say, this is a good deal. You need this and this is what it can do for you. Uh, so that's always the first place. Again, it gets back to a little bit about values, but it, it, I could sell the FBI. OK, uh, and that's why I was spokesperson for four years. I could sell it. I believed in it. So um, that attitude is conveyed by the way we speak uh, and, and how, how we relay our message. So that's always the first thing. And the second, truthfully, and I actually worked, uh, done a lot of work in persuasion, uh, is to meet that person where they are. It's so easy to let our own agenda bubble to the surface. And of course, you're in sales, it should bubble to the surface. But take the time to get to know that person. I know that sounds so trite, but the best salespeople I've met, actually, and dealt with, uh, would call or get in contact, would have nothing at all to do with what they were trying to sell me, uh, but had to do with an interest I had uh for example i love animals i i just adore them uh horses dogs i grew up with them they, i went to a a, a private school because it was a ranch was so isolated i couldn't go to a regular school so it was a um it was just a little rural school just my brother and i so i mean when i say i love animals they, they were my you know they're the, they were my friends until i was in high school um and so when this person's his name is john and when he found out uh he said man I found this great um, animal rescue right in your neighborhood, and he sent it to me. I'm going, wow! Thank he actually listened to what was important to me, and he sent me this, and I I I didn't even need it. You know, I mean, I did, but I I didn't that it wasn't unrelated to what he was trying to sell me. To be to to be truthful, and then the the other way I found uh, I was selling the FBI to a foreign spy right? I mean, that's the bottom line. And so I had to find a way to gain their trust. And uh, a lot of it had nothing to do with the FBI per se, because I was selling myself. I was the FBI. I was representing the FBI. And all I could do was be true to who I was in that moment. Uh, I never lied to people. I never, I mean, I wanted them to trust me, So I developed a relationship with them uh, that was authentic. And you can always tell when somebody is trying to be who you think they want you to be. And it it just doesn't ring true. And I will say this. The only time I got into trouble working undercover was when I tried to be somebody I wasn't. You know, you could slap on whatever name you want or title, but uh, the essence of who I was needed to be what seeped through. And that got me a long ways in an undercover work.
0: Very interesting. Very cool. All right. Well, we are linking to your website. You've got a free assessment, right? The mental toughness assessment. I do, mental
1: toughness assessment. Absolutely. I'd love for people to take it.
0: Uh, And your name is quite unique, so I will spell it. It's L-A-R-A-E-Q-U-Y, right? That's it. Lerayquai.com. And then the assessment is there in your book. uh, It's on Amazon. It's everywhere. Secrets of a Strong Mind. How to Build Inner Strength to Overcome Life's Obstacles. Uh, Did we miss anything? Is there like a super secret story I should have asked you? (laughs)
1: No secret, super, super secret story. Um, And I'd love to connect with people if they're on Twitter, uh, LinkedIn, um, or, you know, through my blog, whatever. I'd love to hear from people.
0: Sure. All right. I will link to all of that as well. Well, thanks for taking the time. I will. uh, I'm in Phoenix often. I will look you up. Uh, Are you a golfer?
1: I'm not a golfer. All right. I, I used
0: to be. I'm not anymore good. So we don't have to go golf. All right. <laughs> no. <laughs> Sounds all right. good. All right. Well, all, right. Ray Thanks, Quy, all the way from Scottsdale. Thanks for coming to the show. It's been great.
1: Thank you very much for having me as your guest. Have a great day. You too.
0: Life was not fair. The FBI was hard on anyone who is weak. She was not good in push ups, so she had to work on them. Don't try to make the road easy. Prepare them. Positive thinking is a cornerstone of mental toughness. So many good things in this. Get her book if you need to get tough. If you're not a reader, you want somebody to hold you accountable, call me up. Let's get after it. I'm not a shoulder to cry on, but I will help you get tougher, okay, in all areas of your life. I was pushed in high school, I was pushed at the academy, I was pushed on active duty been pushed as an entrepreneur been laid off multiple times been on unemployment when two of my seven kids were born i've been sued been audited by the irs been audited by the california board of equalization lost money in deals been ripped off by guys by friends guys i thought were friends i've had people work for me take my intellectual property i know okay i know i know what i know what it's like I've spent at least three of my birthdays in the hospital with kids. Various things going wrong. Nothing ever came of it, but trip to the ER. Fun, fun. I know. My now 16 and a half year old daughter turned three in the hospital with an undiagnosed ruptured appendix. Spent 15 days there while my wife was 38 weeks pregnant. I know. Been there, done that. Got the t-shirt. So, need help. I'll help you, but you got to let me know you're out there, okay? Get one of the courses. Reach out to me on saleswhisper.com, Hit the Contact Us. We'll figure out a way to work together, okay? Thanks for listening. I'll go sell something.
1: At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place by working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies,